Amen. Here we go. Okay, good morning. It's great to see you guys. So just a real quick kind of recap on what's happening here on Sunday mornings because we have shifted things around a little bit. We're back to one service, so it's great to have our family together. Uh, we're really in a time of a divine experiment as far as what's happening in this room, what's happening on Sundays. But just so you know, from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., we're doing a worship-based prayer meeting in here. So it's one of our, just like we do dwell morning and evening, all through the week, we're doing that on Sunday mornings, 9 to 10 here, and we call that family worship. So bring your kids, come. We'll have a prayer leader like Maricela was doing this morning and just really focusing uh, our hearts upon the Lord. And then from 10 to 11, we're calling that worship with the word. So we'll have our announcements, offering. Uh, I'll, someone will be bringing the word, the ministry of the word. And then guys from 11 to 12, we're really excited. We're going to have what we call responsive worship and do body ministry and a lot of uh, ministry time in here and activation. So it'll be three hours. You can pick and choose what you want to come to. We see it all as kingdom. You can, if you're really hungry, you can come here at uh, 8.30 for pre-service prayer, and you can stay till 12. Well, half y'all stay till 1 talking in here anyway. So, um, But you can stay the whole time. Our thing is just to create a culture where we're focused upon gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. So one of the things I shared um, two weeks ago on Pentecost uh, was about this word about reformation. And we're going into a series. Really, we started it with our, our kingdom conversation last week on race and injustice. And we're looking for the next two months at this word reformation. And primarily, we're going to be looking at Acts 2 through 4 about the birth of the early church and how uh, the formation sets a template for us in this day. And so we're going into this thing uh, for Reformation. Uh, back in end of January, and I've shared this a few times, I had a dream. And um, in the dream, I was, I, this is going to sound weird, but I was hovering over this room. And I was looking down right upon this spot. And the ground began to shake violently. And this entire room, it was like an earthquake hit in the center of this worship area that we call this the throne zone here, uh, began to shake violently and the ground split open right here. It was like the Lord took an egg and cracked it wide open. The earth was open and this mountain peak began to rise up and it ended up just, it was, guys, it was exciting and devastating all at the same time. Misty, my friend Misty Edward calls it Beautiful, the beautiful, terrible, all together, the terrifyingly beautiful. I was stricken with the fear of the Lord watching this mountain rise from the center of this room. And there was dust and debris. I mean, it pushed back all the chairs. It, it, it destroyed everything in its way. It took over everything. And this mountain just continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger till it broke open the ceiling here and it totally collapsed the building and it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And by the end, it was taller than any skyscraper that I could see. Um, and I looked at this mountain and I saw in huge letters the word, the kingdom of God. And then right underneath that were the words minister to me minister to me. 
And so I uh, submitted this word on uh, Pentecost Sunday. I, I believe that we are in a two-month window of being reformed here at the well, that we are in a two-month prophetic window of reformation where the Lord says, I think for our leadership team, especially in our elder team, to be looking very carefully at what not to build and what to build, that it has such significance and purpose. And so I've submitted that word to be weighed. And um, so it's, it seems good to me that this is what the Lord is doing. So I just want to look at this word reformation. Reformation, the heart of the word reformation is this. It means to make changes to something with the good intention of setting it back on the right path. So when Martin Luther came with his 95 Theses uh, and posted it on the door at Wittenberg, his heart was to make changes to the, the religious system and structure with the intention of setting it back on the right path. So we're going to continue looking at that. Powerful reformers in the Bible. I mean, we could spend our next uh, eight weeks just on these, these heroes of the word, the reforms they bought, brought into their culture and into their season. We know David, for example, I'll just touch base with each one of these, but David, he brought a whole new form of worship. What we did this morning, we did because David was a radical, bold reformer who brought the ark out from behind a curtain, and he set it in the middle of a room, and he took the curtains off, and he put human beings around it and said, you're going to be a living curtain around this, and you're going to minister to the beauty of the Lord, and your job will be 24-7 to declare and say what's true about God, and it changed the expression of worship in the earth. It moved from the mosaic uh, worship expression, which was terrifying and beautiful all in itself, and it moved into this very intimate, it's a for, it foreran for Jesus coming and making a way to be with us. Then after David, King David launched this powerful, really it was the IHOP Jerusalem movement, he launched this house of prayer and worship expression in the earth. Uh, kings, many kings came after him, and the ones that said they did evil in the sight of the Lord it, meant, it says they chased after other idols, and they, uh, they would not uh, respond to the Lord in worship and in prayer. The ones, the reformers who responded uh, were the ones who reopened the doors of the house of prayer and established prayer and worship, established worship to God as the primary thing uh, that was most important. So Josiah Man, guys, an eight-year-old king had the Spirit of the Lord on him so powerfully, he started kicking out the idol worshipers from the temple. Can you imagine? No one has an excuse. Those kids back there right now, they have a destiny to be powerful reformers in the church, all of them. We're not doing VeggieTales Sunday School back there. We're raising up an army. We're raising up an army of reformers in the earth who says he is worthy the lamb who was slain will receive the reward of his sufferings. Josiah, an eight-year-old king, brought radical reform, and he moved things back into alignment with his father, David. 
Asa in 2 Chronicles 14 through 16, another guy, a young adult who came on the scene. And the reason Hannah clued me into this, Hannah is one of the smartest people you'll find. If you want to know about the word, talk to Hannah. She just clued me into this thing about Asa being a reformer. Sometimes reformation means making very, very costly, hard decisions, which a lot of us know about in this room. Asa had to dispose of his grandmother who was leading the nation into witchcraft and into idol worship. She was the queen mother. He had to move her. And then eventually his own mom, he had to move her out of the way and dispose her, both of them, because they were leading the nation away from Jesus, away from the father. Hezekiah, another one, he, a radical reformer. From, I love what, the thing I love about Hezekiah, it says from day one, when he walked in, the first thing he did is he went and he flung open the doors of the house of prayer. He flung open the doors of the temple and he called all the priesthood together, all the Levites and said, this is our number one job right now. I don't care about security. I don't care about politics. The first thing we must do, we have to get this, this house of prayer reopened. We have to get ministry to the Lord going again. So all the idols that have been moved in, and I mean, for, for decades, the idolatry, do you know, even in Hezekiah's day, prostitutes had moved into the temple. They'd taken over rooms, and it had turned into a brothel. Can you imagine the house of prayer as a brothel? That's how far they had descended. And Hezekiah said, no, we're not going to do that. So they cleansed the temple. They removed everything that was not of God. And in eight days, they had that thing up and going and rededicated. It's powerful. Reformers. Ezra, Nehemiah, man, I could spend hours on just those two radical reformers. John the Baptist, obviously his ministry of pointing people to Jesus. But I just want to, before I leave this slide, I want to talk about my hero Jesus for a moment, okay? We're Jesus Central Church. We love bragging on our best friend Jesus. We love bragging on our older brother. We love bragging on our hero Jesus. Jesus was such a bold reformer. At the very beginning and at the very end of his public ministry in those three and a half years. So you know the, the, his first miracle, turning water into wine at Cana. The very next thing he did after this happy, joyous, celebratory thing, he walks in Jerusalem. He goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. What does that mean? What, what does he do? He walks in. And he begins to overturn the money changers' tables. And he takes a whip and he begins to drive out everything that was not of the Father. He made a reform. See, the, the, outward, the outer courts where all this was going on was the house of prayer. It was the prayer room for women, for children, for the elderly, and for the sick. That's like the majority of us in this room. <laughs> Women, elderly, sick, foreigners. And so it was supposed to be a huge, this outer courts was supposed to be a huge prayer room where it was access to God. And not that all those things were bad, but business had taken over worship. Business became, you know, that corporate identity, that, that uh, 
CEO mentality became more important than the worship of the one true God. And Jesus came in and said, not on my watch. He began making room. We think of it as like macho Jesus coming in. I call it kung fu Jesus coming in. No, he's not kung fu Jesus. He's just like make room for prayer. Make room for this. Make room. My friends can't get to my father. My whole life, the reason I left my throne, I left my home, was so that men and women may have access to God. He was a reformer. He walked into the set system and structure and saw what was out of alignment, and he was bold to realign back to the pattern of heaven. Oh, hero Jesus. So, guys, before something is reformed, it has to be formed. Now, that's not rocket science, right? But would you all agree with me? Before something can be reformed, before there can be formation, there has to be, I mean, re reformation, there has to be formation. So I think it would behoove us as we look into the, the keys from Acts chapter 2 to look at the formation of the early church. We are a new covenant people so we're going to gaze into the formation. By formation, guys, I mean the original design. What God originally intended, intended that the birth of the, uh, the first church, the first Christian church. So we're going to look at kingdom keys of the first church out of Acts chapter 2. So I'm just listed. This is, again, my journaling time, that my preaching comes out of my time journaling and praying through the word. I spend hours gazing upon scripture, and I turn it into dialogue, and I ask Jesus a bunch of questions, because I don't know hardly anything, guys. Let's be real. Like, the only, the only things I know is what is imparted by the Holy Spirit. And so spending time with the word open, turning it into worship, turning it into dialogue, turning it into prayer, turning, I mean, I ask so many questions, and help us is one of my favorite prayers. I got two of my favorite prayers. This is the come dumb school of prayer. Help Lord, more Lord. Then I have a third that some people don't like. Drop kick me, Jesus. Jen and I like that one. So it's the third of the come dumb school of prayer. So here, here's some things I just looking at. These are some kingdom keys. The core is already gathered and waiting. I preached this two weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday. The core is already gathered. How many are in the upper room contending? 120, there's preparation already being made. If there's going to be reformation, there must be preparation. Uh, Shay and Sally, thank you guys for Jesus' justice. If there's going to be reformation, there must be preparation. We don't pray into this, this race issue, which is a love issue. We're going to keep saying that. It is a love issue. There will be no reform in the church, then there's no way our nation gets reformed if the church doesn't get reformed first. So there's preparation happening. The core is already gathered and waiting. Then there's this thing I shared two weeks ago about a supernatural sound. Where is the sound that will come down from heaven that will gather nations together? There's something about a supernatural sound. Guys, I'm beginning to hear rumblings of that here in our worship as we enthrone Jesus, as we put a big chair, a big throne in the middle of this room, and all we're doing, this is, again, not that hard. We, we come in here and we just say, stare at God. 
Get in front of God, get others in front of God, and get out of the way and let God be God. We are, that, that, that mountain, that mountain that is erupting here, guys, and I want to tell you, it is costing me even now. It is disruptful even now to become a kingdom man or a kingdom woman. Because doing church is way easier than doing kingdom. Kingdom means you adopt Matthew 4, I mean Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the constitution of your heart. And it is so offensive to the patterns of this world. And the religious systems and structures hate the Sermon on the Mount. They hate it. And when you adopt that, you become counterculture. I'm feeling the rumblings of a counterculture movement in this room that's about nations coming to the light of Jesus, of many nations, tribes, tongues, people honoring the God-man Jesus. There's a sound. When that mountain erupted it and had grown into maturity, it said the kingdom of God, but underneath that were the words minister to me. I believe clearly this house's primary, primary assignment is to minister to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, and I believe every tribe, every church, you know, I, in fact, we're going to do this real quick. I'm going to pray for Randy and Jane Gooder. Randy is my best friend in the city. He's the senior pastor of the vineyard. They just reopened today. So they're gathering for the first time coming out of quarantine. They've been doing it online. But can we just stretch out their hands in that direction, I think, whatever direction Castleton is, uh, whatever, and bless. Lord, you knoweth all things. So, Lord, we just bless the vineyard, our sister congregation, Lord, and overflow to boot as they're meeting right now, Lord. We just thank you for these sister congregations, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon them. Be the good father who just gathers the family back together and let it be uh, full of joy, unspeakable joy, filled with glory, a dose of glory for those bodies, those tribes today in the mighty name of Jesus. So my point was vineyard, my best friend Randy, he has a different assignment than I do. He, he is a capital T teacher. He has a different, they've got a different focus. And we don't, like we are saying, Shay was hit this last week with this issue of, of uh, racial inequality and injustice. Like we have to move past toleration and we, the church must enter into full blown celebration of not just our skin colors and the glory that's in our midst, but denominations, ministry assignments, fivefold ministry. You may be a prophet. You may be an apostle. You may be an evangelist. You may be a teacher. Guys, there's so much division even over our gifting. That was never the design of the Lord. We are called to really enter in to see no one by the flesh. So I look at Leah like prophet extraordinary. I mean, she's just so beautiful and so tender and humble. And yes, it is the Lord, but you're also saying yes to him. So we bless you, Leah, in the mighty name of Jesus. But I, because I do not see her by the flesh, I have fully entered into celebration over who God has made my sis to be. She is delightful. And if you will not see that, we have a love problem in our midst, and we will end up divided for years and years to come. That's king. Kingdom is not seeing people by the flesh, but by the spirit. And it's way harder than doing church. We could do church. We could do us four no more clubs all over this room and put on a mask when we come in and call it a day. 
Jesus likes blowing things up. So do I a little bit. I've got a little bit of provocative thing in me. I love people so much, but I kind of like throwing little grenades and blowing stuff up. So, guys, a sound. There's a rumbling of a sound beginning to erupt here. I think it's very immature. And I'm not talking about in the natural. I just believe our sound is very soft and muted. I believe it's going to grow. The more we become obsessed with ministry to Jesus and moving out of church to kingdom, the more the sound is going to fill this place. Okay, another kingdom key. Anointed gospel preaching. Peter begins to preach in Acts chapter 2. Now, think about Peter. Again, if you guys have tracked with the chosen, watching Peter, it's such a beautiful portrayal of him. Peter, who is an uneducated fisherman, had just spent three and a half years with Jesus under the the messianic uh, tutoring of Jesus as his rabbi, and he's transformed into this voice that cuts the, the words, cut people to the heart. This is what kingdom's going to begin to look like in our midst. If we go for kingdom versus church, there will be anointed gospel preaching. And I don't mean just in this room. It's mostly out of this room, mostly outside of these walls. I think of Josh and Carmen, who I just, again, adore so much. Talking about anointed gospel preaching. My friend Betsy, just anointed gospel preaching released through all the different gifts. Anointed gospel preaching is a sign of kingdom. I declare you all anointed gospel preachers in your own sphere, on your own mountain, in your own way. Some it will be through rap. Some it will be through poetry. Some it will be through sculpting. Some it will be through academics. Some it will be through everything you could imagine, but anointed gospel preaching where your whole life is a, a, a pointing to Jesus, to look and consider Jesus. This is a sign of the kingdom. You know, another sign I'm learning of the kingdom, kingdom versus church, there's clear instructions from leaders. There's anointed leadership and there's structure given. Do you know Peter... Again, an uneducated, where did he get his boldness? It wasn't just personality type. It was from spending time with Jesus. He had a crowd of 3,000 assembled, and he clearly told them, this is what you need to do. Repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't make it vague. Every eye closed, every knee bowed. Take this home, consider it. No, anointed gospel proclamation comes with clear instructions instructions repent the kingdom of god is at hand and here's what you got to do if you're saying yes it will cost you everything jump in the river get baptized and then receive the infilling of the holy spirit which will empower you to live this life for jesus here on this earth i think we are in an hour where the church building steeples have so far outshined the mountain. Steeples have outshined. Did I get an okay from the front? Ooh, I got a little say up here. You're rubbing off on her. I got an okay. I love that, honey. We, we're steeple. I'm going to say it again. That's so good. We're steeples 
outshine the mountain. It's got to reverse. And so I totally forget where I was going with that because I got so enamored with my, my wife. Sorry, Sally. I'm having trouble, Ryan. Oh, there we go. Repent. Repent. There. Repent. Okay. So where the steeple has outshined um, the mountain, and it's getting ready to reverse, where the mountain becomes prominent in all things. And so we have put systems and structures above gospel preaching. You know, we are in an hour where more and more pastors are being told, don't talk about the blood, don't talk about the cross, do not bring up anything political, don't deal with those issues, make it secret sensitive, make it palatable, open the doors and just do whitewash Christianity. That's more and more and more what appeals to masses. Well, Peter got a clue. He's like, I'm going for the mountain. I'm not going for the steeple. I'm not building. I learned that at the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm not going to build a little hut for Moses or Elijah. I'm going to go for the mountain of the Lord that's going to destroy all other kingdoms and cause Jesus to be magnified. And so he clearly talks about sin. In this this gospel presentation, he clearly talks about what they did to Jesus It's clear. The gospel is clear. I just release you to do clear gospel in this hour. In this hour of muddied confusion, when the enemy wants you to shut your mouth and do everything to silence you, the key to every tumult and groan in this earth right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. I love Jesus called it, it's the gospel of peace is our only hope. You will get sidelined. If you take one step to the left or one step to the right, you will fall into a pit so deep that it will ensnare you. I implore you, stay with the true gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It says there was glad reception of the word. I think sometimes our watered down version of church has created a watered-down reception to everything. We're just so chill about everything. Lukewarm about everything. Well, we know where lukewarm gets us, right? Spit out. When true kingdom gospel gets released, here's a clue. There's glad reception. Now, the enemy will hate you. There'll be persecution for sure, but multitudes respond with joy. Think about the woman at the well in John 4. She was so, she so gladly received the gospel that she becomes the first recorded evangelist outside of Anna in Luke chapter 2. The second, so it's funny, the first two evangelists in the new covenant are women, bold women. So, The woman at the well goes into town and she tells, she testifies of Jesus. She shares the gospel everywhere and turns that city upside down. There's a, and the whole city, the whole region began to glad heartedly receive Jesus. I just decree a shift. In fact, right now it's happening in Minneapolis at the site of where George Floyd was uh, murdered. Right now, 
the kingdom mountain is erupting and it's a little tumultuous, but there's a prayer worship meeting that's been happening there for days and people are coming from all over the nation and there's a sound coming out from where that blood was shed and it's kingdom people, it's gospel people. It's kingdom gospel people that are bringing a sound that's drawing the nations and affecting change in the earth. And there's a glad reception of this good news of the gospel. Remember, it's good news of great joy for all people. Are you a person? You qualify for all people? Okay. Yes. It's good news of great joy for all people. Another thing that happens, guys, when the mountain erupts and outshines the steeples in our systems, we will see huge harvests. Not this like one or two trickling in when it really erupts. I think some of us are waiting on revival. I think Jesus is waiting on us to do gospel. Kingdom, right, Deborah? Yes, to go just take the kingdom everywhere. We are we are carriers of the glory of God. Peter was so bold. There was glad-hearted reception, and they added in one, one afternoon they add, or one morning, they added 3,000 people. When was the last time you did an altar call? And three people responded, let alone 3,000. This is what kingdom looks like. If we will step back and get on our faces and let this mountain come forth, though it may disrupt everything, people are going to get upset. Religious systems will fall. Church structures will change, and it will make people feel unstable. People will be mad because they want status quo. If we will let this mountain erupt, eventually it will lead to huge harvest. 3,000 added. It will lead to baptisms. Can you imagine, man, the kind of, I think of my, my friend Nikki Rankin, who's like the most, She's the best project manager, but I thought, what if I were to, you know, Zoom Nikki in and say, Nikki, we just had 3,000 saved. I need you to figure out how we do 3,000 baptisms this afternoon. Can you imagine the administrative, Barb, the administrative pressure of trying to do 3,000 baptisms? Can you imagine the mess? That's what it is. It's really messy. We just say revival's messy. Kingdom is messy. Kingdom is disruptive, but the joy. Can you imagine us getting to baptize 3,000 people in an afternoon? So glorious. Going from death to life. Those who gladly received his word, they were baptized that same day. They got saved. That might blow us. Where's Brian Harvey at? I don't see you at all. There you are because I don't have my glasses on. I see a tree. You look like a tree. Um, but can you imagine, Brian, this might blow our discipleship kind of ideas out of the water. They got saved and immediately baptized and immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you mean? They didn't do a newcomer's class with 12 weeks of like learning. I mean, they immediately got discipled. Bam, bam. Those are the little bombs, provocation bombs. They got baptized Okay, I want to look real quick at the foundational four. So this is really the heart of my message today. These four, which when we talk about praying healthy missional family, I got it from these four, the foundation, the fab four, the foundational four 
This is the formation. If you want to think about what the formation of the first church, which is the prototype for all kingdom churches, this is it. And they devoted themselves. Say that word with me, devoted. They devoted themselves. It says they constantly uh, stuck to this. They were steadfast and constant to these four things. They didn't get, they didn't have 30 things they were doing. There were four things they, the, the father narrowed it down to for them to focus on. The apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. I wonder if the king, kingdom, there would be more kingdom churches versus what I call steeple churches if we just focus on these four. Maybe as our beginning, instead of doing like 25 mandates from God trying to take over planet earth. If we made these four our foundation. The first one, the apostles' teaching. The word and doctrine is hugely important. The teaching and ministry of the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the Bible, understanding doctrine. The, the, these 3,000, can you imagine? New converts, we're like, we got to go slow. You got to take time. They immediately started pondering the death and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. They started going after doctrine and understanding because Jesus said a hundred times, watch out that no one deceives you. There's so much deception in the earth, and, and they begin going after a real understanding of doctrine and the teaching of the word. A kingdom church teaches the Bible. A kingdom church teaches the word. It does what we're doing. It goes into the word. We don't just draw a lot of good sermons, and it's not self-help. It's not how to get a better life. In order to, to get a life, you've got to lose your life. I mean, that's kingdom. So teaching the word, going after doctrine, and this is where I was kind of poking about our discipleship stuff, but it really is important to teach new believers the foundations of the faith and to have that part of the, the growing thing. But you don't have to achieve a certain level, and then you're considered part of the family. You, you get in, you get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship is the word koinonia. It means it's a, it's a hard word to really understand. It's the communion of Holy Spirit with man and with one another. It's this linking of hearts. It's a heart connection, not just a mind connection. It's connected with the word one accord that I preached on two weeks ago. It's not just mental assent. It's heart unity. It's mind and heart unity together. So this fellowship, the family wasn't just a byline. It wasn't just a hope like, oh my gosh, Lord, I hope we become like not dysfunctional family, but healthy family someday. They, they were really pressing in as family. They were uh, in fellowship in this koinonia with Holy Spirit in one another. Breaking bread. Now, guys, there's two things with breaking of bread. It is obviously the Lord's Supper. It's a reference to the Lord's table, to communion. They did communion every time they gathered. They would not allow it to become a religious event because it was so about the memorial that Eddie took us into. So beautiful. Thank you, Eddie. That memorial, that remembrance. And I, every time I take communion, I get plumb line back to truth. And I always get more tender and more thankful. If you start getting into grumpy land, I know none of y'all are grumpy like I get sometimes. I'm a number four in the Enneagram. means I'm angsty. 
None of you, all, you're all happy, joyful people, so none of y'all would ever get grumpy except for me. But when I get grumpy, communion realigns me right back to the sacrifice and the joy of Jesus. That's why doing it daily is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it wasn't only the Lord's table. It was a love feast. These guys were so, and it's not just, I want to get this. It wasn't just Middle Eastern Jewish culture. It was kingdom culture to open your homes and invite people in. I love the Dones had a group of people over last night just worshiping and doing life on life. It's so absolutely beautiful. And Brian and Mandy are going to be preaching in the coming weeks on some of this life on life reality and our, our, this going after family, this together reality. But breaking bread, breaking at, you know, having meals together. The table is the new church. The table is kingdom. And the last one, prayer. Prayer. Prayer must be more than one of the four pillars of the church. A stated, uh, stated value must be an actual value. So if you say prayer is one of your values, then where is it at in your schedule? Where is it at in your secret life in God? That's why we have, we have this mantra of morning and evening. We want to open up morning and evening seven days a week that we're doing dwell, which is our form of prayer and worship of beholding the Lord daily. Guys, the, early, the formation of the early church, they prayed together daily. Do you know why they could not make it without it? I think some of the shakings we're feeling is the Lord to reform us into patterns that will make us kingdom versus a weak, a weak steeple reality. So prayer is non-negotiable. So teaching, family, communion, or love feast in prayer, the foundational four. Just continuing rest this chapter in Acts 2. The atmosphere of the awe, the fear of the Lord. So when the kingdom of God is around, you'll start to feel the fear of the Lord. Which is different. Fear of man makes you look down. It brings shame. Fear of the Lord makes you look up. Fear of man makes you look down and inward. Fear of God makes you look up and outward. Got me? Fear of man makes you look down and inward. Fear of God makes you look up and outward. Fear of man makes you close your eyes and withdraw. Fear of God and all makes you open and more giving and receiving. When, when this mountain breaks out, I tell you, I was shaking in this dream in January. I mean, I was shaken to my core. When the Lord encountered me in Dallas, November 8th, I shook with the fear and the awe of God. I, I'm having heads up that the fear, fear and awe of God is returning. The, the well is supposed to be a place of the awesome displays of God, where people look at God and not at man. Many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. When that mountain erupts, signs and wonders happen. Healings are normal. Kingdom stuff is healings, deliverance. As I was reading in Acts 8 this week, I love it. The story of Philip went to another town in Samaria. I tell you, Samaria, Samaria is just like a hotbed for revival. I mean, if you look at it in the scriptures, Jesus was clued into that. Samaria had a big mountain erupting in their midst. And so Philip knew it. Philip goes to Samaria, and he begins to preach 
anointed proclamation of the gospel. And this is what it describes immediately after the giving of the gospel. It says, and many loud shrieks were heard because people were getting delivered. Like, when was the last service you were at where many loud shrieks were heard? And then the next, the next phrase is, and the city was filled with great joy. How many of us connect those things? Deliverance and great joy. We should be. That's the mountain. That's kingdom. Church makes you put them in a back room somewhere, and it takes years to deal with. When the gospel, kingdom gospel is preached, People get delivered. I mean, I felt a deliverance anointing in the room this morning in the midst of worship when you were singing the Christ Be Magnified, uh, leading that out. Uh, Emma, man, I just felt like this, something was, something was coming in and something was going out. It's like a realignment. That is normal. In kingdom worship, there's transactions that happen. Angels are on display to help us. Signs and wonders, healings, deliverances, the kingdom is noted among us. They were together. Church culture, steeple culture is this. People act like they like each other, but they really don't. You stay divided. You gossip and you slander, but then you put, you don't tell the other people. You lie about it. So I'm telling you, I've been in church culture for years. Kingdom culture is such joy at being together, even when we're different and we're weird. Just love being together. We love any excuse. I mean, Sally and I, when we got pulled into um, uh, a move of God and we had just really returned to the Lord and we were in our early 20s, we were getting discipled in a former Jesus hippie church, and we are connected with these guys from way, way back, the gospel outreach, uh, which was a move of God on the, the west coast of California, and we got swept into all these former hippies who were most of them living communally, and um, Sally and I stepped from the Nazarene church, really as backsliders, into that, and I, the first time I walked in, there was like, you know, drums and electric guitars and like hippies and like they were the coolest people I'd ever met. I'm like, I don't care if these guys swing from the chandeliers. I am here. If this is like, if this is, if this is allowable, then I started finding it in the word. I'm like, this really is kingdom. They weren't interested in church. They were interested in kingdom. So Sally and I are in our early formative years. We got kingdom established on the inside and it has wrecked us for every other church structure. Just leaves us just empty and dry. It ruined us for any other thing. Now, some people think that's just revival culture. It's kingdom culture where I found a group of people who actually did the Bible. How radical to walk into a group of people who won't gossip because the Bible says don't do it. You'll violate love. Don't don't go into sexual immorality. It will violate and wound and hurt love and bring division. Don't be racist because it will wound love and bring division. They were together. Not only were they together, this is so cool because I feel I am such a heads up of this mountains coming because of that $25,000 cash offering Sunday that happened on Pentecost. 
they shared everything and they gave generously, extravagant generosity. This is one of the most extravagantly generous churches I have ever been a part of. I mean, amazing. And it's a sign of that mountain beginning to disrupt things because kingdom economy looks different from steeple economy. We begin to take care of one another. We don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. We slip a person a $100 bill because the Lord said to. We don't look for any accolade, any credit. There's this thing. We will know there's disruption when we begin to take care of one another's needs, not out of obligation, out of guilt, but by the still small voice of the Lord. In fact, some of us, some, we're going to have such a kingdom culture that the Lord will whisper, this person has this need, and that person will have never said anything to anyone. And we won't look to the welfare system of this earth to solve the needs of the body. The body will become that for one another. It'll be so powerful. It'll be a beautiful picture for the world. People will start coming because they say that's what love looks like. It was daily, seven-day-a-week Christianity. It says, so continuing daily, they were in one accord so it took a while. It, took, it was a job to get 120 people in one accord. How in the world do you get 3,000 people in one accord? But it's in the Word. 3,000 were in one accord. Part of it was this daily thing. We ignored the daily and want to punch in the time card, Sunday only. I'm here. That's it. But I've got my job. I've got this. The kingdom is coming, guys. This kingdom mountain is disruptive. Life looks different when this mountain takes over and there's this daily. It's why I love dwell. This able, you don't have to be there. You just get to, you get to dip in daily and come together and be edified and be changed and be built up and be encouraged and deal with our differences. 3,000 in one accord. And there was this rhythm of both tipple ministry and house to house. Kingdom is this. They did not do one or the other. They did both. They didn't ignore this room, but they did not ignore home groups either. It was both. They didn't ignore the house of prayer and corporately coming together, nor did they say we're only going to do house church. That's not what the formation of the early church was. It was the rhythm of both things. They went to the house of prayer, and then they went said, I'm going over to Matt and Jen's, and we're going to get some of Matt's smoked brisket. Now, that's a love feast I'm waiting. See what I mean? I mean, they did both things. We are so compartmentalized. The house church movement doesn't like the house of prayer movement. Get over it, guys. We are a kingdom people. We are a kingdom. That mountain is bursting forth. It's the rhythm of both things. And there was gladness and simplicity of heart. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. What a beautiful, there is peace Upon them. That's why it was so appealing and so attractive to so many of them. It was Godward. They praised God all the time. You guys are some of the most crazy Godward people I've ever met. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm praying, let 3,000 come here who are so crazy Godward that the whole, it disrupts the whole region. Godward, praising God all the time. In great favor, they had favor with all the people. A sign of kingdom. Now, it doesn't say they had favor with the authorities. They had favor with multitudes. There's a difference. They had fa favor rested. Favor rests when the kingdom emerges, and it was in the midst of persecution. 
Do you know you can have favor in the midst of persecution? This was a persecuted environment. And yet the favor of God was clearly there. And then there's church growth. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. If we go for the mountain, we get church growth. If we don't go for the mountain and we go for the steeple, we get nickels and noses and no effect in the earth. If we go for the mountain, we get true converts. We get growth of heart, maturity, and Christ-likeness. If we go for the steeple, we get nickels and noses, and we measure success by man's economy, not God's. Go for the mountain. Let's all stand together. Worship team, if you want to come back up, we're just going to go into a responsive time. This was a question I just, the last question in my preaching journal was, Jesus, is there anything you would like to reform here at the well? (laughs) I dare you to ask that, pray that. Jesus, is there anything you would like to reform here at the well? What's it going to take to let this mountain come forth? What has to get pushed aside for this mountain to come forth? When the mountain comes, it consumes a spirit of control. It won't let a spirit of control stay. We stop controlling, controlling people. Jesus, have your way. So we go back into this last 45 minutes of worship. We're just going to go into a time of body ministry and... um